Let's read together 1 Samuel chapter 11. In this chapter, Saul proved himself as a young king by defeating the Ammonites who had attacked Jabesh Gilead. 1 Samuel chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Then Nahash, the Ammonite, came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us, and we will serve you. And Nahash, the Ammonite, answered them, On this condition I will make a covenant with you, that I may put out all your right eyes and bring reproach on all Israel. Then the elders of Jabesh said to him, Hold off for seven days, that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then, if there is no one to save us, we will come out to you. So the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and told the news in the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field. And Saul said, What troubles the people that they weep? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news, and his anger was greatly aroused. So he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be done to his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out with one consent. When he had numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who came, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. Then the messengers came and reported it to the men of Jabesh, And they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do with us whatever seems good to you. So it was on the next day that Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch, and killed Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is he who said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men, that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Let's begin our study of this chapter with some background notes. Jabesh Gilead was located about 25 miles south of the Sea of Galilee, but on the east side of the Jordan River, where the country of Jordan is today. It was in the territory of the half-tribe of Manasseh that had settled east of the Jordan River. The Ammonites under Nahash were enemies located southeast of Jabesh Gilead. Now, don't confuse the Ammonites and the Amorites, both were enemies of God's people, but not the same people. The Ammonites, remember, descended from Lot. During the time of the judges, the Ammonites had tried to take this whole area of Gilead away from Israel. The judge Jephthah told the Ammonites that they did not have a legal right to Gilead, and Jephthah went out and defeated the Ammonites at that time. You can read this account in Judges chapter 11. Now the Ammonites were back, and they put a siege on Jabesh Gilead. Under siege, you either fought, surrendered, or starved to death. The men of Jabesh Gilead decided to surrender and submit. 
Nahash and the Ammonites said, on one condition, all of you will have your right eyes gouged out. Now, why did they say that? Because if you were right-handed, like most people, you held your shield in your left hand, which covered your left eye, and therefore you were helpless as a warrior if you did not have your right eye. Thus, the men of Jabesh Gilead would be helpless and could never revolt and would be a reproach in Israel. The men of Jabesh Gilead said to give them seven days to make a decision, and Nahash agreed. You might wonder, why did Nahash the Ammonite agree to give them seven days where they could possibly muster up some help? Well, another seven days of siege would only make the Jabesh Gileadites weaker. Furthermore, the Ammonites may have wanted to see if Israel had any military strength at all, and then possibly defeat all of Israel if they came to help. Well, they didn't count on Saul, the new king of Israel, from the tribe of Benjamin, being able to muster 30,000 men from Judah and 300,000 men from the rest of Israel. Verse 8, when he had numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah 30,000. By the way, the fact that Judah and Israel are distinguished in this verse, in verse 8, shows that this part of 1 Samuel, at least, was written by inspiration after the time of King Solomon, when the United Kingdom of Israel split into the two kingdoms of Israel and Judah, the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Saul certainly motivated the people by telling them if they did not come to Bezek, ready to go to battle, then their oxen would be cut to pieces as he had vividly demonstrated. Oxen were a very valuable commodity in that culture. The people responded, and under the mighty power of the Spirit of God, Saul and his men crossed the Jordan River and attacked the Ammonites in the pre-dawn hours and fought them until the heat of the day and defeated them. Now Samuel gathered all Israel together at Gilgal. Here they again recognized and confirmed that the Lord had made Saul the king of all Israel. And Saul showed grace to those men who had despised him. Back at the end of chapter 10, Saul let them live. Verse 13, But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. Now just one more background note. Why was Saul so motivated to go and help Jabesh Gilead? Was it just to do his job as a new king? There may have been something more. Saul, remember, was from the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin had almost been wiped out in civil war during the time of the judges. 400 unmarried women from Jabesh Gilead were given to the men of Benjamin who survived the civil war. It could be that Saul's lineage included one of these women from Jabesh Gilead. Read about this possibility in Judges chapters 20 and 21. Well, so much for background. Let's move now to our doctrinal teaching points for 1 Samuel chapter 11. Doctrinal point number one. The enemy will attack God's people where they are vulnerable. The enemy will attack God's people where they are vulnerable. Question. Why was Jabesh Gilead vulnerable to enemy attack from the Ammonites? And why was this whole area vulnerable to the enemy during the days of the judges? And why was this whole area vulnerable in later years to attack from the Syrians 
and the Assyrians and the Babylonians? Answer. The problem goes all the way back to when Israel came into the land at the time of the conquest. Remember back in Numbers chapter 32, at the time of the conquest, the two and a half tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh did not want to cross the Jordan River. They said to Moses, do not make us cross this Jordan. God wanted all of his people to cross the Jordan and be in the heart of the promised land for unity and security. But the two and a half tribes twisted God's arm, as it were, and said, but we like it here on the east side of the Jordan, where the grass is good for our livestock. Well, God allowed the two and a half tribes to have their wish and dwell on the east side of the Jordan. Here again, we have God's people settling for God's permissive will instead of God's perfect will. And any time believers take this option, there will be sad consequences, then and today. That's the bottom line answer as to why Jabesh Gilead was vulnerable. Read 1 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 26, and see how the two and a half tribes were vulnerable to attack by the Assyrians in later years. 1 Chronicles 5, 26. And the enemy will attack God's people where they are vulnerable today as well. 1 Peter 5, 8 says that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. That is, looking for vulnerable people. And this includes Christians. That's why this warning is given to believers in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. 1 Peter 5, 8. Let me ask you, are you vulnerable right now? How about in the area of materialism? How about in the area of sex? How about in the area of fear? Maybe you've settled for God's permissive will like the two and a half tribes and are thus more vulnerable to attack. The enemy will attack God's people where they are vulnerable. Doctrinal point number two. The enemy will blind God's people if they compromise. The enemy will blind God's people if they compromise. We've seen from our background notes why the enemy wanted to gouge out the right eyes of the Jabesh Gileadites. But I think there's a spiritual lesson here as well. Jabesh Gilead was weak and vulnerable and about to compromise and surrender and submit to the enemy. It would have resulted in a major loss of their eyesight and in their ineffectiveness in battle. Now, do you see the obvious spiritual picture and lesson here? Why are so many of God's people ineffective in spiritual battle? Why are they so blinded as to spiritual realities and the truth of God's word? Most likely, it's because they have compromised in their walk of faith in some area of their lives. Most likely, they've capitulated and surrendered to the opposition in some way. Anything less than full commitment to the Lord will lead to blindness in some area of your Christian life. Now, the good news here is that the men of Jabesh Gilead did not give in to the enemy in spite of the siege and the odds. They held firm, and God sent victory, great victory, and the same will be true today. You know, you may be under tremendous pressure from the opposition right now, and it may be that you are vulnerable because of past unbelief and compromise and sin. The enemy knows where you are vulnerable and you are under attack and siege, and it looks like you have nowhere to turn. 
That may be your situation. You are being pressured and tempted and even lured to compromise. Listen, don't give in. Don't compromise. Hold firm. Wait for the Lord to send help and victory. It may not be immediate, but victory will come. Don't compromise. The enemy will blind God's people if they compromise. Now, what about practical application? Let's be angry for God's sake. Let's be angry for God's sake. Now, be careful how you repeat this practical application. It's not, let's be angry for God's sake. No. (laughs) But let's be angry for God's sake. When King Saul heard about the threat of the Ammonites, we read that he was angry. Verse 6, Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news, and his anger was greatly aroused. This was good and righteous anger, anger under the power of the Spirit of God. Normally, anger is a sin, but when you are angry for the sake of righteousness, it is not a sin. Ephesians 4.26 says, be angry and do not sin. Even righteous anger can turn into sin if it is not handled in the right way, so be careful. But we should be angry when we see God and his word mocked and slandered. We should be angry when we see open and flagrant sin. We should be angry when we see our country departing from truth and moral standards of decency. Let's be angry for God's sake. 